Welcome to the Every Nation Rosebank Church Podcast. At our church, we honor God, make disciples, and transform nations. For more information about our church, visit everynationrosebank.org and don't forget to subscribe. We are in the last week of our Miracles series. Um, and we've been looking at uh, the book of John and all the miracles that Jesus did in there. And the point of the miracles was exactly this, let him be known, right? All of those miracles were there to point um, the people around to the fact that Jesus is who he says he was, is, both, because he was, he is, and is to come. Uh, (laughs) Grandma getting away from me. But um, the point was to show the people that he is who he says he is, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, come to bring salvation to the world. And so in week one, we looked at the miracle of Jesus turning the water into wine, and that just really showed that, that Jesus was master of the elements, right? He could do something we can't do. He could take one substance and turn it into something else. And even Satan knew Jesus could do this because when Jesus was in the desert, how did he tempt him? He said, if you are the son of God, turn these rocks into bread. And none of us can do that, right? If we want to change water into wine, we've got to add a whole bunch of chemicals and then it's not really wine, it just tastes like wine. Um, But Jesus had the ability to actually do something supernatural in in that. In week two and three, we looked at two different healing miracles. We looked at the healing of the official son and of the paralyzed man. And um, just showing, God showing, Jesus showing that he was master of, of sickness and death, that he could command it to go, and he could uh, restore uh, the human body into what God had actually ordained it to be, and he could bring freedom that way. In week four, we looked at the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus' master provider. You know, when I make bread, which is not very often, um, <laughs> I'm not that domesticated, um, the amount of flour and, and ingredients you put in is going to equal the amount of bread you get out. It's, that's science, that's the way it works. Um, but Jesus was able to take something finite and actually create more until there was excess. Um, and that is just like, he is our provider, right? There's nothing impossible for him. If he can take five loaves of bread and turn it into enough to feed 5,000 with leftovers, what can he not do for you? And last week we had Lareko speaking to us about Jesus walking on the water, right? And that Jesus is master of nature. That's what that shows us. But the miracle was so much more, right? Lareko was telling us that the miracle was that Jesus got in the boat. He was actually planning to pass the boat. I honestly skip that every time I've read the book of John, it just never really rang true that walking on the water was faster than the boat for Jesus. Um, (laughs) But that's what he was able to walk on water. And we also know from before that he silenced the waves and he silenced the wind. And he's just, nature bows before him and is subject to him. And today we're looking at the last miracle, which is the miracle of the raising of the dead of Lazarus, right? Lazarus coming back to life. And so we're calling this death to life. So we're going to look at a, a pretty hefty chunk of scripture. I know that your attention spans are TikTok small, um, but we're going to practice <laughs> this, and it's influenced me as well. <laughs> we're ready. We're going to stretch our focus tonight. Um, but I honestly have loved looking at John 11, because if anyone ever tells you you're too spicy, tell them to look at Jesus. Man, that, mine, that man was spicy. And I love this because there's just so much of Jesus spice in everything in the scripture. And I'm honestly, I think this is my new favorite scripture. All right, so let's take a look. 
Now, Jesus loved, oh, let me set context, sorry. So, Jesus is in Jerusalem, and he receives word from Mary and Martha that Lazarus is very, very ill. And uh, this is what happens. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, am I reading that right? He stayed two days longer in the place where he was? That sounds wrong. (laughs) Okay, we'll go with it. It's the word of God. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and you're going there again? And Jesus went, yeah. Um, No, he didn't. Um, But I feel like this is sarcasm. It's just my personal opinion. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? Feels like sarcasm to me, which makes me happy because I'm sarcastic. (laughs) but it's not actually what he's doing. If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. Now Jesus is using a euphemism here, right? This is how we soften the blow of bad news. The blow was too soft, the disciples missed it. And they said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he'll recover. So they didn't get what Jesus was saying. Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought he meant taking rest and sleep. So Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. (laughs) Exactly, right? (laughs) And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. Whammy number two, Jesus was glad that he was not there. Okay, but let us go to him. So Thomas, called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also, that we may die with him. Thomas is very depressed. <laughs> when, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, that's about three and a half kilometers, it's less. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and she met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Yeah, yeah. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Now when Mary, uh, um, I skipped a bit because it's a long and I'm focusing. But uh, Martha goes and she calls uh, Mary and she says, Jesus is looking for you, so come out. And then Mary comes to Jesus, and when she comes to where Jesus was and she saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay across it. Jesus said, take away the stone. 
Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, this time, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Well done for focusing. You did good. Okay. So the first thing I want to talk about tonight is our reality. So it says there in that first, script, that first part of the scripture, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So he went, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now that doesn't really make sense, right? Grammatically, the English lit major in me does not like that sentence because it is illogical. The word so can be swapped with the word therefore, and what it does is it connects two logical concepts together. These are not logical concepts. If Jesus loved them so much, why did he wait two days to go to Lazarus? And Bethany, the, the, where Lazarus was, wasn't that far away. Three and a half kilometers, I can walk that in under an hour, sort of. Depends what road I'm on, okay? It's South Africa. <laughs> but even if the terrain was bad, I'll be very generous and say maximum four hours for them to get there. It wasn't far, and yet Jesus delayed by two days. So the sentence doesn't make sense, and we're in confusion right at the beginning, but you see Jesus had a plan. Jesus had something in mind that he was going to do, and he foreshadows it to the disciples when he says, are there not 12 hours in a day? Those who walk in the day don't stumble, but those who walk in the night, they stumble because they don't have the light with them. Jesus is coming because he wants to bring revelation to the people who are there. He wants to take them out of the darkness and bring them into the light so that they don't stumble anymore. He's got a plan. But the thing is, Mary and Martha don't know this, nobody knows this, and they're facing a very real reality. The reality is the brother that they loved died, and there's the knowledge that this could have been prevented if Jesus had just come. And so Martha comes out, and when Jesus arrives, and she accuses him and says, if you had been here, Lazarus would not have died. And she's not wrong. And even Jesus knows this. You see, this is why he said to the disciples, I'm glad I wasn't there. Because he knows if he was there, he probably would have healed Lazarus. Because he could. And Martha and Mary, they know who Jesus is. They know that he could have done something. Because they'd seen what he could do. So their accusation isn't wrong, and Jesus never even corrects it. So this is the first thing. Your reality is valid and it's true. You are experiencing something. It's your perception of it, how you're receiving it, how you're seeing it. Those things are valid and they're true. And some of us are facing Lazarus realities. Where we're sitting there and we're going, Jesus, why didn't you come through? I didn't plan for this, I didn't expect this, I didn't want this. 
but now I'm here and you didn't come. And we don't understand why Jesus delayed. There's an interesting thing, though, because it says in the next scripture, the next verse, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And in verse 35, Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? He already knew Lazarus was dead. There's nothing in the scripture that tells us anybody actually told him Lazarus had died. He'd been told Lazarus was ill. And then he says to the disciples, Lazarus has fallen asleep and we've got to go wake him up. So this is not shock at the loss of his friend. Jesus also knew what he was going to do. He knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. So why is he weeping? Because he saw the grief of Mary and Martha and it moved him. God sees your grief. He sees what you're experiencing. He sees your pain and he sees your disappointment and it moves him. You're not alone in what you're experiencing. But here's the thing. Your reality doesn't change who Jesus is. When Martha sees Jesus and she says, if you had been here, Lazarus would not have died, she also says, but I know even now that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. She's recognizing who Jesus is. She can't see what he's going to do. Lazarus is very dead. And the thing is that the thing about the four days is actually very significant. So in Jewish, Jewish philosophy, um, they had this belief that the spirit kind of stayed with the body for three days after death, but that by day four, it was gone. So the fact that Lazarus has been dead for four days means there's no hope left. He's dead dead. It's not just dead. He's very, very dead. And so she's looking and she knows Jesus can do something, but she has no idea what he can do. Very often we want to change the narrative of our realities, right? So what do I mean by this? We kind of call it faith because we, we, maybe we get a diagnosis, right, of something, an illness, and we kind of start going, it's not true. This is a lie from the devil. This thing isn't true. And then when, you know, it turns out we get healed, then how do we say that if we've been calling it a lie the whole time, then how is the miracle true? That's not what faith looks like. Faith looks like this. Yes, I received this diagnosis, but I know who my God is. And he's bigger than my diagnosis. That's what faith looks like. But we like to change the narrative and we shouldn't do this because it denies faith. When I was thinking through this, I had a thought about prayer, right? We, when we face these things, whether it's a diagnosis, the loss of a loved one, the loss of potential income, a job promotion, whatever it is, we tend to send, when we get into that, that situation of desperation, we send bigger prayers to God, right? Please, won't you do this? God, come through. You have to do this. You've got to do this for me. And then sometimes we go the other way where we kind of insist that, you know, God, I did all these things. I went to church. I read my Bible. I was nice to people. I didn't swear at the taxi driver. Why aren't you coming through? Like God owes us something. God's already done everything. Everything else is grace. He finished it on the cross. Everything else that God does for us is grace. And yet we think we can stand there and tell God, I did this, therefore you better live up to your side of the bargain. 
the nice way to put that is audacious. The right way to put that is cheeky. But we tend to do this with God. The thing is, when we pray, very often what God does is he changes us before he changes our situation. The best way I can demonstrate this is uh, for myself, things that I'm going through, that I've been going through for the past year, and I haven't been quiet about it, most people know about it. Financial things are tough. <laughs> things are tight, and most of us are feeling this. The world is feeling the financial pinch, right? And um, I'll, I'll share a secret with you. Nobody actually knows this. I didn't make it through um, a single month last year on my own. My budget did not work. <laughs> And I didn't know either I had to sell things to help me. I had financial help from my parents, from other people who just helped me get through. And last year I suffered from a lot of depression and a lot of anxiety and a lot of that was around my finances. And my financial situation has not changed. <laughs> it hasn't. In fact, it got worse. I lost an income stream. <laughs> so I have less this year than I did last year. And yet somehow I'm still okay. But that's not because of me. That's because God did something in me. So the testimony that I shared at our New Year service about what God's been doing in my heart and doing in my life and doing in, in my body with physical healing, he's changed something inside of me. And the thing that the, the reason that matters is because when God changes me, I show up in my situation differently. So my situation might not change straight away, but I've changed and I walk differently in that situation. And I don't face it the way that I did before. And I bring in an authority from God because God has done something in me and it's the conviction that I live from. And then God changes our situations because God is more interested in your relationship with him than he is in your personal comfort. I'd be so much more comfortable if God changed my financial situation now. But God is so much more interested in what he's doing in my heart and how that's changing me and allowing me to become the woman that he's called me to be and created me to be. And I'd be so, I would so much rather be that person than be comfortable because God changed something else first. <laughs> that's the wrong scripture. So there's a last thing that's really beautiful in this interaction with Martha and Jesus coming, you know, that interaction that they have. And it's this, your disappointment doesn't change your relationship with Jesus. Very often when we're disappointed with God, we kind of tend to withdraw from him. We kind of want to cancel him because he didn't live up to his end of the bargain. He's caused me all this trouble. It's just so much easier not to be a Christian. And we tend to withdraw from him. Or maybe we're ashamed or... Maybe we just, we don't know what to say anymore because he didn't listen to us and he didn't do what we wanted him to do. But in this, in this story, what you see is Martha and Mary both run straight to Jesus and they tell him straight away, I'm disappointed in you. You didn't come. And now look what happened. And that's what the relationship should be like. You see, God's not scared of your disappointment. I, um, I heard the story once, as a friend of mine, there were pastors at a church that I used to attend before I came here, and uh, I wasn't there, I heard the story from the guy's wife, <laughs> but the two of the guys, this, my friend's husband and another guy, they were in a meeting, and they kept knocking heads, and they just could not see it eye to eye, and there was a lot of emotion, manly, tough, <sighs> emotion, and when they got out the meeting, the one just looks at the other, and he says, come, let's go, and they did, and it wasn't a fist fight, 
they wrestled. <laughs> they just kind of gripped each other and they had this little tussle and they just, they just got it all out. Nobody won because that wasn't the point. And um, when they separated, they hadn't solved anything, but their relationship was fine because they got to actually just wrestle and get out that emotion. I don't know how that works. I'm a girl. We talk about our emotions. It must be a guy thing. <laughs> but here's the thing. Wrestle with God. He's not afraid of you wrestling with him. And we see this in the story with Jacob where Jesus, uh, God wrestles with Jacob. And it's a long wrestle and eventually God dislocates his hip to it, bring it to a nice end, you know. God didn't have to do that. He's the creator of the universe. He could smite you in one breath. He doesn't need to wrestle with you, so why? Because he knows that we need to wrestle. He knows that and he's our father, so he's happy to do it. God is not made smaller by your disappointment. His identity doesn't change and he's secure in who he is. So wrestle with him, come at him. You wanna tell him how angry you are? You wanna tell him how disappointed you are? He already knows, you can't hide it from him. Don't fake smile at Jesus, it doesn't work. So wrestle. Okay. I wanna talk next about Jesus' identity. So Jesus says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Martha is looking at a very dead situation. Very literally, her brother is dead. And Jesus is telling her, not what he can do. He doesn't say, I can resurrect and I can bring life. He says, I am the resurrection, and I am the life. It's who he is. It is in his nature to bring life. And not only that, he is the life. He is the source of it. And he's telling her that this is who he is. And the invitation to her is, do you believe? Do you believe that I am who I say I am and that I can do what I said I can do? And that invitation is for every single one of us who are looking at a dead situation right now. Do you believe that God is who he says he is? That he is the resurrection and the life? Martha's response is, is so interesting because she says to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming to the world. And that response to me just kind of says, she gets it, but she doesn't. And even her response later when she's like, whoa, don't open that, that's going to smell. Like, rather leave it closed. It's because she doesn't actually get it. And they couldn't really because Jesus hadn't yet died and resurrected. So whenever he talks and prophesies his death, they never really understand it. He even says this to the disciples when he says, I'm glad that I wasn't there for your sake so that you can believe because they're going to see something that they don't get yet. And they still don't get it. This script, this, uh, reading this kind of reminded me of that scripture in Mark, uh, Mark 9. And it's the one with the, the little boy who's demon-possessed and he's deaf and he's mute. And his father says to Jesus, I believe, help me with my unbelief. And I think a lot of us face that. I think all of us have faced that at some point where we're saying, I believe you, God, but I don't get it. <laughs> I don't understand how, this is gonna, how you're going to do something. I don't understand how this works. I don't really get this principle or this concept, but I choose to believe. So help me with my unbelief. If your situation is looking dead, 
then you need Jesus because he is the resurrection and the life. He is the hope for your situation, but more importantly, he is the hope for you. So Jesus is with us in the truth of our reality. That's why he wept. That's why he was there. But he's there in the reality of who he is. He's not going to show up your way. He's going to show up his way because he knows who he is. And we need to know who he is. We need our realities to meet God's sovereignty. Each and every one of these miracles was showing who God is, who Jesus is, that he was the resurrection and the life, that he was master of everything, that he was God and God is sovereign. And we need that to meet our realities. We don't deny or lie about our realities. We just ask God to come and meet them. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. And for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. That's another tough pull to swallow. That Jesus is saying, I'm glad I wasn't there. It's not because God delights in your misery. He doesn't take delight in the hardships that you, that you face. But his perspective is so much bigger than ours. When I'm disappointed with God, my perspective is narrow. My perspective is limited to the reality that I'm facing and the reality of my circumstances. But God's perspective is eternal. He's interested in so much more than just your situation and the thing that you're facing. He's interested in pursuing you, your heart, your salvation, your relationship with him. So Jesus was glad he wasn't there because he knew what he was gonna reveal to the people that were there. Jesus had set everything up for this miracle. And we can see that even um, in verse four, which I didn't read to you guys, when Jesus first hears that Lazarus is ill, what he says is, this is not an illness that leads to death, eh? but it is for the glory of God. And that was his intention. He wanted God's glory to be known and revealed to these people who didn't yet understand who he was, who didn't understand what he could do and the way that he could show up for them. Jesus stands at the, the, at the tomb and he calls out to Lazarus and he says, Lazarus, come out! Some of you either just rose from the dead or moved one step closer to it. Jesus is calling into our dead situations tonight. He's calling to you and he's saying, come out. Come and receive life and life to the full, life in abundance. I am the resurrection and the life. There are three audiences to this miracle, right? There's Mary and Martha who are facing this very real situation, this very dead reality and are disappointed because Jesus didn't come. There's the disciples who, though they're with Jesus all the time, still don't fully grasp who he is, and they don't understand, and they just don't quite get it. They believe, but they don't really get it. 
They have plans for Jesus. They think he's going to do things a different way. He's going to be the new king, and he's going to lead them out of Roman rule and whatever it is. They kind of get that he's the Messiah, but they're missing so much of it. And Jesus knows this, and they're the other witnesses to this miracle. And the last is actually the Jews who are standing around, because a whole lot of them were there with Mary and Martha to mourn the death of Lazarus. And when Mary comes to meet Jesus, they all come with her. So when Jesus comes and he calls Lazarus out, there's this host of witnesses who are looking at this miracle. And that's why he says that prayer, right? I'm not saying this aloud because I don't know God's going to hear me. It's because of all of you. You need to hear what I'm asking God for so that you can see God come through. When Lazarus comes out the tomb, he's still covered in the linen that they use to wrap their bodies. Right? The miracle doesn't tell us that he came out smelling like lily of the valley. <laughs> he didn't come out smelling like roses, to put it in the neck. He came out smelling like death. Because you see, when a body returns to the dust from whence it came, it releases all the oils, and those oils got absorbed by the linen cloth. So when Lazarus came out fully 100% alive, he still had death to, clinging to him. And what Jesus does, he doesn't go up and fix it. He turns to the community, to this host of witnesses, and he says, go cut him free. Unbind him and set him free. See, God has everything that I need. He has everything I need, but because of that, he gets to dictate how I receive what I need. And the way that God has determined that we get what we need is in community. We are never going to shut up about community. because we believe in it, because this is what God does. He put Lazarus from death straight back into community. So with these three witnesses that are there, some of us are Marys and Marthas. This is why I love this this so much, because there's pieces of us in all of this. Some of us are Marys and Marthas, and we're looking at very dead situations, and we're disappointed in God, and we're saying, God, why didn't you come? Why did you delay? But I still know who you are. And if you're not saying that last bit, it's okay. There's still time. Some of us are the disciples, and we're still figuring out who Jesus is. And we're wrestling with these things, and we're learning about who he is, and, and how great he is, and what he has. And others of us are the Jews, right? It's our responsibility to cut the death robes off of people coming in. And we need to step into that responsibility. And some of us need the death ropes cut off of us. And the only way that's going to happen is when we plug into community. Right? When we're in community where we've got people praying for us, standing with us, teaching us, we learn from each other. This is the way God created it to be. So tonight, there's... Two people, I think, two groups that I really want to pray for tonight. And the first one is this. See, the Bible tells us that we are dead to our sin. And that when when we accept Jesus into our lives, he brings us new life. And so if you're sitting here tonight, and you've never accepted Jesus into your life, and you know that you're dead inside, the Spirit is dead, dead separates us from Jesus, from, from God, I want to give you the opportunity tonight to allow him in. 
if there's anybody here, you feel like that's you, you don't really understand it, like Martha, you kind of get it, but you really don't, it's okay. But if you feel like this is something you want, you don't want to live in death anymore. You want to have God with you to help you with his heavenly perspective to see things. You don't have to travel this world on your own. And you want that life. God is calling to you. Come out. Come out of the grave with you are and accept life. Accept me. Won't you raise your hand right now? Everyone else can close their eyes. Spit. But if it's you tonight, and you want to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, once you just lift your hand. The other people I want to pray for, for those of us who are facing dead situations, we're sitting there and we're saying, Lord Jesus, I expected you two days ago. I don't feel like you came through for me. And now this is my reality. And I can't see a way out. I don't know what you're going to do. But I know who you are. You're the resurrection and the life. You're the son of God. You're my father. You're my friend. And I know you love me. If it's you facing that situation that seems so impossible, I just want you guys to just be bold and stand up now and I'm gonna pray for you. Is there anybody here, you feel like you're facing a situation that just feels impossible. It might be the loss of a family member and that grief that you hold. It might be a lost opportunity, a job you didn't get, finances you're waiting for, whatever it is that you feel like you're waiting in expectation and it seems hopeless. Thank you, Lord. Lord Jesus, I want to raise your precious daughters, sons and daughters before you now. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are the resurrection and the life, that there is nothing that is impossible for you. Lord God, you showed that as you walked the earth, that there was nothing that you could not do, nothing that didn't bow before the word that you spoke and before the name of Jesus. And you see these children standing before you now, Lord God, you know the situations that they're facing. You know how insurmountable it feels to them, Lord God, how they feel like nothing can be done. They waited for you, Lord God, and some of them feel like you didn't come through. I pray, Holy Spirit, right now that you would move upon them. Firstly, Holy Spirit, let them know that you are there. May they feel your presence right now. Come and let them feel your love and your comfort, Lord Jesus, that you wept for them. You feel what they're feeling. They're not alone. Just come, Holy Spirit. And as they just receive that knowledge that you are there, Lord God, we speak and we say, come out. Come out into life. The situation that seems dead, we speak life into it right now in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord God, we ask that you would open doors that need to be opened, Lord God, that you would create a way where there seems to be no way Lord God, that you would open those things towards them right now. We speak that in the name of Jesus Christ, that anything that stands in the way of your will being done, Lord God, would move, that it would move right now. We come and we speak your life, Lord God. You are not the God of death. You are the master of it. You conquered death. And so we speak life right now. 
Come, Holy Spirit. We thank you, Lord God, that we are going to hear amazing testimonies of what you have done because we know who you are. And what you do is so much more than we could ever possibly expect to dream or hope for. Because that's who you are, Lord God. We worship you and we thank you, Lord God. Amen. Sorry? Amen. That was so good. I'm going to ask you to pray, CJ, in a moment. Sorry. <laughs> Two conversations happening. But let's give her a hand. That was amazing. Um, CJ also just reminded me about identity as she was talking. And I, I don't want to miss this point. Like, Jesus laid aside his Godhead. Do you get that? When he came to earth, he rejected his godness. The scripture tells us he laid it aside, he put it down. That means when he was born, he was born as a man, right? Fully God, fully man. But when he was on earth, he was fully human, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Every miracle we see him do is not through his godness, it's through his humanity submitted fully to the Holy Spirit because that's the only way you and I could ever do it, right? And so this issue of identity is so, so important. Because do you remember when Jesus got baptized and the father came and said, this is my son, my beloved son. Do you know what identity is? It's, it's what you believe about yourself. That is it. All identity is, is what you believe about yourself. So we can put all those scriptures on our wall. I remember as a young Christian having 300 scriptures about who I am in Jesus and like trying to recite them magically so become it. But I didn't believe any of that. I was what I believed I was. And so you see, Jesus, when the Father said to him, you are my beloved son, he believed it. And that's why we saw on that screen, I am the resurrection and the life. And all the miracles that we've read, they come from the book of John. And throughout John, Jesus makes I am statements. I am the light of the world. I am the water of life. And so... When Jesus heard the phrase, I am, he could answer it like that. What comes into your head when you say, I am? What's the first thing that comes? Do you see, that's what you believe about yourself. And so I believe tonight, Jesus wants to resurrect your identity. CJ said it so beautifully. Martha looked at him and said, you are the Christ. But she didn't understand what was going to happen. Because of belief. She believed. She could, she'd seen the miracles. She saw the love. She saw Jesus. She knew he was the son of God, but she didn't understand what that meant. Because of belief. She just thought, oh, well, he's going to save us from the Romans and it's going to be amazing. <laughs> Jesus was like, I am the resurrection and the life. Because just in a little while, you're going to watch me rise from the dead. Lazarus was just a prophetic picture of that. And so I want all of us to stand up. And I want you to think for a moment, I am. What is the first thing that comes to your heart? Because Jesus wants to come and resurrect that. He wants to tell you who you really are. Do you get this? And we've got to stop believing. Tonight the resurrection is this. Lazarus had to disagree with death. <laughs> Maybe he was having a really nice rest. Maybe he was actually in the Father's presence. Maybe he was like, no, I don't want to stay here. <laughs> But he came in obedience to the call of his Messiah, right? 
We've got to change. Something's got to change. We cannot just believe. It's like me reciting, I am the head, not the tail, and not believing one word of it. Nothing changed in my life. Belief is the key. CJ, will you lead us? Lord Jesus, we thank you. Your word tells us that you formed us in our mother's womb, that you knit us together, that you created us with a plan and a purpose. It wasn't just an accident, Lord God, and that you delight over each and every single one of us. And Lord God, we just want to bring before you the things that we believe about ourselves. Lord God, all those things, particularly, Lord God, those things that are not true, where we have picked up lies about our identity, Lord God, where we think that we are not efficient, sufficient, where we think that we are not loved, that we are not wanted. Whatever it might be, Lord God, we bring those things before you and we ask you to take it from us. Take it, Lord God. We repent. We turn away from believing those things about ourselves. And we want to step into the truth of who you say we are because that is a beautiful thing, Lord God. You took time and effort over creating each and every one of us. We don't want to believe things that are not about us, that are about us, that are not from you. We ask, Lord God, that you would refresh our identity, Lord God. Bring it into alignment with what you said, that I am chosen, I am loved, I am wanted, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I have a plan and I have a purpose. I have a reason for being in this world, Lord God that you pursued me to the ends of the earth, Lord God, you pursued me because that's how much you wanted me. I am so valuable. I am your son and I am your daughter, a royal priesthood, part of your family, Lord God. Above all else, Lord God, I am part of your family. I'm a child. May that be known to each and every one of us, Lord God, come and cement it in the depths of our hearts, Lord Jesus, where no one can take it from us that this is who we are. We are the children of God, and we belong. We belong, and we walk in everything that that means. Come and cement that in us, Lord God, right now. Come and protect that seed of identity inside of us, that the devil won't steal it away from us, Lord Jesus, because when we know who we are, we can show up differently. From this week forth, Lord God, we're going to show up differently because we're going to be walking in the authority of everything that you say about who we are. And no longer is the devil going to tell us who he thinks that or he wants us to be. We're going to stand in the authority of who you said we are. We are the sons and the daughters of God. We are loved. We are wanted. And we pursue that with everything we have, Lord God. We pursue you because you're the one, the author of our identity, Lord God. You're the one that holds all of that. And we pursue you with everything that we have. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.